Hi, this is Tim Stratton. Uh, for some reason, as I taught this lesson on Sunday morning, it didn't record correctly. So I'm going to give it one more shot and just speak into the microphone here and record this lesson without any class interaction. So for those of you following along through the podcast, just want to make sure uh, you're able to continue learning the laws of logic and the rules of reason. Today we're going to look at logic lesson number six, and this is the hypothetical syllogism. This is rule number three based on learning logic by Dr. William Lane Craig. I highly recommend buying this book where you can find all of these lessons in detail. He does a much better job of teaching logic than I do. <laughs> all right, hypothetical syllogism goes like this. If you want to write it out, it's gonna, you're going to write it like this. So premise one would be P arrow Q. Premise two would be Q arrow R. And then the conclusion would be P arrow R. So uh, premise one would be spoken like this. P implies Q. Or you could say if P then Q. All right. So if you're going to speak this argument out, you'd say P implies Q, Q implies R, therefore P implies R. This is called the hypothetical syllogism. Um, let's. Uh, I like to talk about naturalistic determinism a lot and compare it to Calvinistic determinism. Let's take a look at uh, how we could write this. If you're, if you're thinking about naturalism. If naturalism is true, then I argue that uh, there's no free will and that the, the Big Bang, basically, along with the laws of nature, uh, causally determine everything. So we could write it like this. Uh, premise one, the Big Bang determines our desires. Premise two, our desires determine our actions. Conclusion, therefore, the Big Bang determines our actions. All right, we can apply this. Uh, to Calvinistic theology. And on Calvinism, you could say premise one, God determines our desires. Premise two, our desires determine our actions. Three, conclusion, therefore, God determines our actions. So really, the naturalist and the Calvinist argue the exact same way, except for different reasons. Um, so, this is a, a kind of a hypothetical syllogism here that I've offered. Um, it's otherwise known as the transfer of powerless principle. And we've seen this offered in what's called the consequence argument. Now what I like to call this is skipping the middleman when we do hypothetical syllogism. So if hypothetical syllogism says that if P implies Q and Q implies R, then P implies R. All right, we can just skip that second premise. Um, and just go straight to uh, P implies R when you understand these steps. Now, um, now if I was just going to say P implies Q, Q implies R, therefore P implies R, since we don't know in this specific case if P is true, then we cannot conclude with certainty that R is true. But at least we can know on the basis of premises 1 and 2 that if P is true, then R will also be true. So let's look at a couple examples here. I stole from Dr. Craig and personalized them here. 
just a second. All right, let's look at example one. As I said, I took this from Dr. Craig from his book and personalized it here. So premise one, if it is Valentine's Day, Tim will invite Tia to dine at a fine restaurant. Premise two, if Tim will invite Tia to dine at a fine restaurant, then they will dine at Sozo's. Conclusion, if it is Valentine's Day, then Tim and Tia will dine at Sozo's. Okay, so this is a, a valid argument here. Um, if it's Valentine's Day, Tim will invite Tia. I will invite my wife to go out to eat at a nice restaurant. If I invite my wife to eat at a fine restaurant, well, we will go to Sozo's. So it follows that if it's Valentine's Day, then my wife and I will dine at Sozo's. I'm getting a little hungry thinking about it right now. All right, example two. Uh, while we're at Sozo's, if Tia orders stuffed chicken, then Tim will order the steak. Premise two. If Tim orders the steak, he will not have room for dessert. Conclusion. If Tia orders stuffed chicken, Tim will not have room for dessert. Now, what we need to realize here with this argument is that it is valid, the structure is correct, however, it's got a false premise because premise two is clearly false because Tim always has room for dessert, even if he eats the steak. So uh, you gotta be, you know, you gotta look out for the premises and make sure they're always true. Remember, an argument can be valid, but not sound if the premises are false. All right, so we can use our three logical rules in combination with one another to make more complicated arguments. All right, we've, we've uh, studied modus ponens, modus tollens, and now hypothetical syllogism. And so we can use these and combine them to come up with more complicated uh, arguments. So, for example, write this out if you're taking notes. Premise one, write down P arrow Q. Premise two, write Q arrow R. Premise three, you're just gonna write the letter P. Go down to premise four, and you're gonna write P arrow R. And then premise five, you're just gonna write the letter R. Well, let's look at this. Premise one, P implies Q. Premise two, Q implies R. Now, with step three, we're going to affirm that P is true, and you're, you're just gonna write P. Well, now, step four, you're gonna write, well, P implies R. And the, the conclusion follows that R is true. So next to step four there, in parentheses, I want you to write HS, which stands for hypothetical syllogism, and then just write the numbers one and two. Okay, so it's hypothetical syllogism, HS, and it follows based on steps one and two. And then next to the conclusion, next to step five, next to that R, the conclusion, write down MP, that means you used modus ponens to come to that conclusion, and it follows from steps three and four. So you write MP three and four, and parentheses next to the conclusion. So the first three steps are the given premises, and steps four and five are conclusions that we can draw using the logical rules we have learned and studied already. 
And then to the right, we abbreviate the rule, which allows us to take each step, along with the numbers of the premises we use to draw the conclusion. So that's what we're doing there in those, uh, or, or next to those conclusions. Um, so notice that a conclusion val validly drawn from the premises becomes itself a premise for a further conclusion. Um, here's another example um, that Dr. Craig offers, and then I'm going to give one that we can you know, try to put some meat on the bones. Dr. Craig offers this one. He says, uh, and write this down if you're taking notes, uh, premise one, P arrow Q, premise two is Q arrow R, three, you're going to write not R, step four, you're going to write P arrow R, and then on step five, you're going to write not P. Remember the, the not sign or the negation symbol is uh, kind of like a, a backwards L that's on its side. Okay. So let's look at this argument. Premise one, P implies Q. Premise two is Q implies R. Step three, you're going to negate uh, the R. Okay, you're going to say not R. R is not true. Um, four is that P implies R. And so then five is not P because you've demonstrated that R is false. And if P implies R, if R is false, then P is also false. So next to the conclusion on step four there, in parentheses, you're going to write HS. Okay, that, that follows from hypothetical syllogism and it follows from steps one and two. And then next to conclusion, uh, step five, next to the, the not P, you're going to write in parentheses MT, which means it follows from modus tollens, and it follows from steps three and four. So sometimes uh, a conclusion val validly drawn from the premises becomes itself a premise for a further conclusion. Now, uh, here's one that I think does that, one that I came up with, I, I call it the omni-argument against Calvinism. Now, let's, let's look at the first premise. I say, if Calvinism is true, whomever God provides irresistible grace to will go to heaven and not suffer eternal hell. Two, if God is omnibenevolent, he would not want anyone to suffer eternal hell. Three, if God is omnipotent, he could provide irresistible grace to all people. Four, if God is omniscient, he would know how to provide irresistible grace to all people. Five, people suffer eternal hell. Or you could say some people suffer eternal hell. Six, conclusion, therefore, either God is not omnibenevolent or not omnipotent, or not omniscient. Feel free to pick at least one. Or Calvinism is false. Or you could say Calvinism is not true. Okay? So I come to a conclusion there, and then I launch it into uh, the second part of the argument, or you could just say launch it into a new argument altogether, where the first premise is, if if one of God's omni-attributes is subtracted from God's nature, then he is no longer a maximally great being. 
Next step, therefore, a maximally great being, God, would not exist if one of his omni-attributes were not possessed, okay, or subtracted or deleted. All right, next step, if a maximally great being does not exist, then atheism is true. All right, now, uh, you would be left with some kind of a supernatural being, a powerful supernatural being, but he wouldn't be the maximally great being, and he wouldn't be, a, if he wasn't all good, for example, uh, then he wouldn't be worthy of worship. Okay, so God, by definition, is worthy of worship. So it'd be a weird form of atheism uh, where you'd have a supernatural being. Naturalism would be false, but atheism would still be true. God, a being worthy of worship, would not exist. On step nine there, or, yeah, so, um, or the third step. Okay, next step, therefore, if atheism is false, Calvinism is also false. Next step, atheism is false. We have a cumulative case of evidence that would demonstrate that. Um, and in particular, I'm thinking about the ontological argument, which demonstrates that a maximally great being exists. Well, if atheism is false, then it follows step uh, the final step here is, therefore, Calvinism is also false. So, I know that's a lot of steps there. I gave you six steps at the beginning, and that transitioned um, to another argument of six more steps. So, you can either combine them and have 12 steps all together in one big, long argument, or uh, you can have too many arguments. Um, all right, so... Anyway, the more rules we learn about logic, the more fun it is to do logical problems. I really want to encourage you, again, to buy Dr. Craig's Learning Logic book. It's, uh, it's pretty easy to understand, and it's even illustrated. It's got great pictures if you want to follow along. If you learn uh, by looking at pictures the way I do, then I think you'll really enjoy it. So buy Dr. Craig's book, uh, Learning Logic, and I encourage you then, at the end of this lesson, he's got some exercises um, for modus ponens, modus tollens, and hypothetical syllogisms. So I um, hope you come back and keep listening to our Sunday school class and some other recordings um, that I am making for you. <laughs> I'm going to start recording some sermons and some other lessons so I hope you're getting a lot out of these podcasts, and uh, stay tuned.